as you remain standing. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It's the last week that we'll be in this wonderful passage. And so I'll read this over you. And then if you'll remain standing, I will read a couple more verses that will be really important in our time together this morning. This is the early church meeting just like we're doing right now. Acts 2, starting in verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. And then in Acts 1.8, before Jesus uh, ascends back into heaven after rising from the dead, talking to the same church, he says in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus um, enters onto the scene, he comes to the world. This is what Jesus said when he came and he began his ministry. He said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. May God bless this word this morning. You may be seated at this time. So this morning we, uh, we come to the end of a, of a journey that we've been on. A journey that we have affectionately called devoted. And we've talked about the core essentials of like what it means to be a disciple here in the world today. We've talked about believing the good news of Christ above everything else. We've talked about reading the Bible, which is God's word to us, diving into that. We've talked about going up the mountain to meet with God in prayer. We've talked about discipleship and love and fellowship. We've talked about our involvement in the church and desiring unity in the body. And today we come to the completion and the fulfillment of everything that we've talked about. And as we were singing that last song, Oceans, um, you know, we, we, we pick these songs specifically every week. We try to line things up as best we can to create a liturgy or a flow for you to really experience the things that we're talking about. And we always pick that song when we talk about things like going out into the world or doing something for God or sharing the gospel because it's like there comes this point in your Christian journey where you've been walking with Jesus and you've been going along in the boat and there comes this moment where it's almost when Jesus is like, all right, it's time to get out of the boat. It's time to walk on the water. I know you love being right by my side, but you have seen my love for you. You have seen what I have done for you. And now the time has come for you to go and make disciples of all nations. The time has come for you now to go out and to spread this really good news in a world that really needs some good news. 
And we close our journey in Devoted through Acts chapter 2 with this idea, this beautiful, wonderful, amazing idea that we play a wonderful part in the wonder of the gospel. That you and I, church, people who were once very unclean, people who were once far from God, that we now, through the blood of Jesus, through, through resurrection through him, we now play a wonderful part in the wonderful message of the gospel going forward. I think what we don't often realize is that the, the New Testament, a lot of things that we read in there, the, the language that they use was language that they essentially kind of stole from their culture and their time, and they, they warped it around what Christ had done. And what I mean by that is that the word gospel was not a, a word that the, the church created. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a word, evangelist wasn't a word the church came up with. They were words in the culture that they were living in that they took to, uh, that they took from the Roman Empire, that they infused with the meaning of Jesus, and they began spreading his message. You see, the word gospel and evangelist originated really in the Roman Empire, where what they would do is they would go around, and the Roman Empire was like very confident in the Roman Empire. And so they thought that everybody should be a part of the Roman Empire. And the way that they would do this is they would go around conquering different lands, different peoples, different capitals, and saying, you are now part of us. There was one time in the world where everything from England to India was controlled and ruled by the Roman Empire. They were so confident in the way that they did things that they would, they would go around and they would defeat an army and they would make them part of Rome. But the problem was, was that once they defeated an army or a land or a people, the problem was they didn't have Twitter. <laughs> and they didn't have telephones and cell phones. They couldn't shoot a mass text or a mass email. And so they would conquer a land. And yet the problem was the people of that town or that land wouldn't know that they were now part of the Roman Empire. And so they sent people out, they sent out what they called as evangelists or bearers of good news out into the lands to let all the people know, hey, guess what? You now get to be a part of the Roman Empire. It's your lucky day. It was an empire that was being built on coercion and force and murder. If you were an enemy of the Roman Empire, they would, they would I guess, beat you even more convincingly. But they were just going around and conquering the entire world, and they were sending out people to let them know that the empire had arrived. And in that same time, this guy named Jesus Christ emerges who claimed to be the Son of God sent to redeem this broken world. He was healing people. He was teaching people. He was feeding people. He was blessing people. And he claimed to be God, so they murdered him on a cross. And yet three days later, he rose again, and his disciples and his followers saw this. And he sent them out in Acts 1 saying, Now you will be my witnesses of the good news that I'm bringing into the world, that though the world is broken, I'm remaking it. You see, the future is very bright because God is going to will this world to be a good place. He is remaking this broken world. And so what the early church did that we've been reading about here is they took these words like evangelist and gospel. 
And they did a pretty bold move. They took words that were used by the most powerful empire in the world and used them to describe what God was doing in the world today through Jesus Christ. They began carrying this news out into the world that they said was good news. They would go out and say, who do you think is creating a better world? Caesar, who was the Roman emperor, or Jesus? What empire do you think is truly of God, one that is made by coercion and force and murder and pain and brokenness, or a kingdom that is built by Jesus through love and hope and peace and faith and beauty and awe and wonder? Which one do you think is better? And they began spreading this good news message in a broken world, and it caught on like wildfire. The early church understood that they played a wonderful part in the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. That though things are broken, they are being remade in Jesus. And I begin like that today because uh, I had this realization this past week that, that something in the world has changed. I was uh, beginning my day a few days ago, and I opened up my laptop. And I read just for that morning the headlines of the day. And I don't know if if you're like me, maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but I I feel as if something in the world has has shifted. Like there's, there's a growing tension. There's this frustration inside our country and outside our country. We live in a world that it really feels like, man, we just need some really good news, amen? We need something that's hopeful, that's optimistic. I opened up my, my computer, and let me just read you some of the headlines that I read. This is a couple of days ago. I mean, just one morning, right? This, I, I didn't even compile this list. It was just there for me on the news site that I go to. It says, Paris under constant threat of terror in light of recent attacks that killed 129 people. Springsfield, Ohio. A bakery receives attention for, for a sign stating, Merry Christmas and God bless America. Donald Trump, presidential candidate, says he would certainly implement a database to track all Muslims. Sikh Coalition, this is another religious group, organization responds to doctored image of a Sikh man that depicts him as a terrorist. Cheryl Atkinson, journalist says Barack Obama only reads intelligence reports on specific groups. Rick Perry, Texas Court of Appeals is considering an abuse of power charge against the former governor. Up to 27 dead in Mali, an Mali hotel terrorist attack, one American slain. Ted Cruz says that Clinton and Obama are apologists for radical Islam. One morning. One morning, it's like within our country and outside of our countries, there's, there's refugees and there's people that need a place to live because their, their countries are imploding. And as I'm sitting here listening to this and as I'm preparing for my sermon, I'm like, man, nothing has changed. The world today needs some really, really good news. And it's almost as if you have like these, these two things emerging where it's like this kind of this Islamic worldview emerging and this like secular Western worldview emerging and they're trying to figure each other out. And we as the Christian church, we're kind of just like sitting here watching the whole thing, not really sure what to do or kind of what our role is in this. We're trying to figure everything out and we're trying to assert good but not to be controlling. I mean, it's just really confusing. And yet, just like the early church did with this message of the gospel and with good news, I believe that it is time to awaken the giant. 
I believe it is time for us to begin telling the world again the greatest news that has ever been told, that in Jesus Christ there is life. If you wonder what your role is in this world today, it's not to join a political party. It's not to advocate for one right or another right. I believe the best thing we can do in the world is to tell people that the future is probably a lot better than you probably think. Because we believe with all confidence that Jesus Christ is remaking this world. That those who follow him find life and peace and happiness and fulfillment. And that life is a good thing. But the problem is we live in a broken world and we ourselves have become part of that brokenness through sin. And yet in Christ we can be made clean and a part of a beautiful, wonderful future. In verse 47 of our text, it says that the Lord was adding to their number day by day. It's this beautiful image of God using the church in the world that they were in that was divided and pluralistic and everything else. That God was was using them to do a wonderful work. And when it comes to sharing the good news, when it comes to evangelism, I think we have to begin viewing it less like a, a job and more like our role in a play. That's why I say that we have a wonderful part in the wonder of the gospel. I use that word part very specifically. I think as Americans, you know, we, we boil everything down to a job. That's who we are. We're hardworking, we're pragmatic. Everything that we do is a job, right? It's like we do it because it's the right thing to do and because we know we have to do it. And we make everything like a, like a to-do list and a checklist. And if you're like me, you have a checklist and you have a to-do list and it does help you. And yet I think sometimes we begin to boil down um, our understanding of sharing the gospel to something we just need to do. Because if we don't do it, God's going to be really mad at us. That's our understanding. Like, I've been saved, I've been renewed, now I've got to get out and tell people, and it's awkward. Uh, because if I don't do it, then God's going to be really mad at me. And I think when we boil it down to a job, the problem is it becomes uninspiring. It burns us out. It becomes something we don't want to do because we naturally get resentful towards jobs. When in reality, there's this massive story that God is leading. That God is in control of all human creation. He's in control of everything. And there's this massive play that's unfolding from Genesis to Revelation. And that you and I find our part in that play. And the same way that it says that the Lord added to their numbers day by day. It's almost as if God is directing this whole thing. That it puts God in charge. When we view sharing the gospel as a job, what it does is it, is it, it makes us believe that, that we are in charge. That we are the ones that accomplish the work. But if we begin to view ourselves as people who are in God's play, that God is the playwright, that God is the director, and that we've been given a wonderful part in this redemption story, we can go around the world desiring that people will come to know Jesus through his work in us. And this is what it means to live on mission. Raise your hand if you've heard that phrase, live on mission. I wonder how many people have heard that phrase. Okay. That's a phrase you're probably going to hear a lot in the future. A lot of younger people hear it. A lot of younger people are are articulating this work in that language. And what that means is essentially that to live on mission is to live a life in the world, whatever you're doing, whatever job you're working, whatever neighborhood you live in, that you desire that the people around you come to have a loving relationship with Jesus through God's work through you. 
So wherever I go, I'm living on mission. Because we used to use the term like evangelism and being an evangelist, and yet that kind of became associated with like a certain kind of person who was an evangelist. And a lot of people say, well, how does evangelism work at my work? And we're not really sure how that works. So there's kind of like this new phrase that's been created called living on mission for the Great Commission. Where everywhere I go, in my family, in my friends, in my work, in my circle of influence, I am desiring that people understand the wonderful message of the gospel through God's work through me. And the completion of our joy in Christ is found when we share it with another. That everywhere we go, this is a crazy thought, that every single place that we go, we bring really good news with us in a world that needs some good news. But you might ask, well, well, what is the wonder of the gospel? What is the good news? The good news is that all things are being made new through Jesus Christ. The good news is that when people struggle with what happens when I die, we have a solution for that. What about meaninglessness in our life? We have a solution for that. What about a broken marriage? We have a solution for that. What if you're broke and have no money? We have a solution for that. Amen. What about terrorism? We have a solution for that. What about guilt and what about shame? We have a solution for that. What about sin? What about evil? What about murderers? We have a solution for that problem. And as a church, we believe that solution is Jesus Christ because he is the king because he has saved us, because he is making this world new, and we now know that message, we now possess that good news, and we now share that good news in the world that we live in. And yet here's the problem. We often lose the wonder. Just by a show of hands, I, I, want, I want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've ever, like, lost the wonder of the amazing reality of a relationship with Jesus. Like, you have it, and it was, like, amazing at one point, and you lose the wonder, right? Like, it, it wears off. Like, there's, like, the camp high, you know, and you're at youth camp, maybe if you're a younger person, and it was, like, the most amazing, transcendent experience ever. And then, like, school starts back up, and all of a sudden, it's different again. Or maybe it's easy when you're in an environment like this and it's beautiful and the word's being proclaimed and the music's being sung and it's wonderful and, and then we kind of get back into the normal world. We often lose the wonder of the gospel. I was in a, my community group this past week and if you're not in a community group, I always encourage you to be in one of those. You can sign up at the collectors table. But we were in ours this past Wednesday and we did this awesome thing where everybody went around and told their story. Like, it, it, you know, we thought it was like a 30-minute exercise and it lasted two hours because God does some really cool things, right? And, and stories are always long and everyone wants to share. And like from person to person as they were sharing what God has done in their life, I mean, it was amazing. And every story was completely different. And in every single story, there was like this sense and this atmosphere of like wonder that God had just saved them and, and made them new and they were wandering, but that, now they're, they're found. And it was this amazing story. And yet I think what all of us struggle with is like somehow we kind of begin to, to, to taper off a little bit, that, that the wonder becomes a little, little less so. And I have this core conviction that the main reason why most of us struggle to share the good news it's not because we haven't been trained. It's not because we don't know the perfect words to say. I think the real problem is deep down. 
I think people lose the wonder. You don't have to teach somebody to share about their favorite restaurant, okay? I tell people about Kalina's all the time, right? Kalina's in the Heights. You should go there. It's a really good restaurant. There's this really good Mexican restaurant called, uh, I can't even pronounce it, Tejo Tejuana. Anyway, I can't pronounce it really right. But it's down like in the airline kind of area. It's amazing. I don't, have to, I don't have to convince myself to tell people that I like Ohio State University. It's been a rough day for me. We lost yesterday. I'm a huge Ohio State fan. And I think also, why well, don't share because maybe I'm a little bit ashamed. And that that's maybe, might be kind of true, but I advocate for things I'm ashamed of all the time, right? Like I said, I'm an Ohio State fan in Texas. Right? That's not a popular thing, but I don't care what you think, right? Because I like them, and I'm proud of it. We think, well, I'm just ashamed, but, but I don't think that's true. I think we live in a niche world. Everyone is a fan of all random things today, right? There used to be, like in the 80s, like, you know, 10 to 20 big musical acts that everybody liked, but now with the internet, we have access to more music. And so now everyone's, you know, tastes are divided and unique and they're specific. We advocate for stuff that we're ashamed of all the time. I think the problem when it comes to sharing the gospel is that we lose the wonder of how amazing this message really is. There was a well-known evangelist and... uh, he, uh, he, he said he always would go around do trainings. And he said the number one reason why people didn't really share was because they didn't really understand how amazing the message was. And he proved this by doing this. He would go around and he would ask everybody, and this is, this is really good, and you're going to relate a lot with this. He would ask all these people who were Christians and who he was trying to share the gospel, he would ask them, okay, uh, the first question he would ask as they started was, how does God feel about you? the so first question he would ask. He'd ask this room, he'd ask them one-on-one to the people. He'd say, how does God feel about you? And this is how he would start. And he said he would get responses like this. And maybe you can relate. They would always say things like this. God is disappointed in me. That was the main response he got. God is disappointed in me. And he would say, why? They would say, well, I'm not a good enough or, or devout enough Christian. Okay, he got that answer a lot. Maybe you relate with that. They would say, uh, he's disappointed in me because I don't read the Bible and I don't pray like I should. Maybe you can relate with that. They would say, I'm not a good spouse or parent. I'm not as good as I should be. I'm, I'm still a really selfish person. I'm kind of lazy and I'm irresponsible. I'm unmotivated. They would say, God's disappointed in me because um, I don't ever share the gospel with anybody or I've got a lot of sin issues. I still haven't surrendered. I struggle with things like maybe pornography or lust or whatever, and, and God's not happy about that, so he's disappointed at me. He's mad at me. They were like, I cheat at work. I don't work as hard as I should. Um, they would say, I'm just not as committed to Jesus as I should be, and therefore Jesus Jesus is not happy with me. Like, that's probably how he feels about me. And he would always begin his talk by saying, if that's the way you think about God's feeling towards you, if you have faith in Christ, you're wrong. And that's the problem, is we don't, we don't realize the, the amazing reality that, that it is God's work that saves us and that makes us clean. And that if you believe in Jesus, God is nothing but delighted in you. You say, but I've made so many mistakes in my life. I've done so many bad things. God could never forgive a person like me. You don't get how amazing this message truly is. In the gospel, God is delighted in us, not because of our works, but because of Christ's works. 
This is an amazing message that we're forgiven and we're clean and, and we're made new and we can now know God in an intimate relationship. I mean, this is amazing news in light of everything that we've done. It's like we were standing here homeless, just, just peasants in the land with, 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 with tattered clothing that smelled and it was all our own fault. And Christ took our tattered, smelly, torn clothes, he put them on himself and he gave us the robe of a king. The good news is that we have been made renewed in Christ. And the problem is we don't realize how amazing this message is, how much hope that's in it. We lose the wonder and therefore we don't share the wonder. It's kind of like if I told you uh, to go try out this like Tex-Mex restaurant. Because if you're in Houston, the only reason you live here is because you love Tex-Mex. There's no other reason why you live here, right? I tell you to go try this Tex-Mex restaurants, right? And you go and try it, and, and, and you think it's pretty good. You would say it's a little bit above average. And you come back to me, and I'm like, so what would you think about it? You're like, uh, it was a little bit above average. And I'm like, go tell the world. No ear shall not hear how amazing this Tex-Mex place is. You're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that because that's weird. And I didn't like it that much. And the tortillas were crusty, so I'm not doing that. The chips weren't warm. They weren't made in-house like they do at Papacitos. I mean, that's the problem, is, is we lose the wonder. We forget how amazing Jesus is. We forget all the many things that, that, that he has forgiven us of. Do, do you remember your testimony? Do you remember where you were at at one point in your life? Do you remember that moment? Maybe it was at a camp. Maybe it was in a church service. Maybe it was on the streets. Maybe wherever you were at. Do, do you remember that moment when God did a powerful work in your life? Because I believe that when we reclaim the wonder, we begin to then play a wonderful part in the wonder of the gospel. And so I want to close by giving you three things really quick. Because I have this, this idea that the goal of sharing the good news with the broken, hurting world that needs it. It's not about me giving you all the, the newest techniques of how we're doing. I'm not going to give you the Evangel Cube or anything like that. You know, those are all good things, right? But I honestly believe that people share the things that they're in love with. And so I want to give you three ways today as we leave of how I believe we can reclaim the wonder. So when we lose the wonder, this is how we find it. Number one, devotion brings the wonder devotion. The whole series has been devoted. The whole series is not just about um, all the things you need to do so God won't be mad at you. That's not what this series is about. This series is about finding joy and happiness and fulfillment and contentment and satisfaction through doing all of the wonderful things that God has given us. Everything that God commands us to do is for his glory and for our joy. You cannot break those two things apart. And the problem is we begin to separate those things. When we devote ourselves to God on a daily basis, when we, when we live our lives on this constant pursuit of Jesus and who he is, the wonder begins to stir back up in our soul. Let me read you Psalm 145. Listen to how the psalmist talks about his relationship with God. It says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, every day, and praise your name forever and ever. There's this continual sense. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Every morning when we wake up, we re-surrender our lives to Jesus. 
Some of us, we get comfortable. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've just been in this like same season forever, right? And, and it's just stagnant and you're just barely making it, right? And so of course you're not going to share the wonder because you're not feeling the wonder, right? You're not really sure. Every day is a brand new day to experience the glory of God in this world. When you walk back out into this beautiful day today, what if you walked out there as if it was the first time you had ever experienced it? As if God wanted to do something powerful in your life today that he's never done before. What if you believe that every day was not just another day, but the, the day that the Lord had made to do a work in your life, to show you more about himself so you can love him more and glorify him more. Every day is a beautiful new day. As the psalm says, every day I will praise you forever and ever. Your greatness is unsearchable. The problem is we, when it comes to the gospel and the good news, we think we know how good it is. And yet we need someone to come to us and say, it's so much better than you even think. Maybe you've kind of landed at a stable place in your Christian life. And it's my job this morning to rip that floor out from under you so you fall more and more in love with Jesus Christ and with what he's done for you. Wherever you're at in your Christian journey, there is so much more. There is so much more beauty. There is so much more that God can forgive you of. He has forgiven you of things that you don't even know you need forgiveness of. Have you lost the wonder? Have you, have you thought that maybe I can get the mysteries of God now? Have you tried to understand everything? A famous Christian author said that the mysteries of God are far more satisfying than the solutions and the understandings of man. You will never understand everything about the Bible because it's way better than you could ever comprehend. You will never get a grasp on how good and amazing God is because you could never understand it because it is deeper and more powerful than your understanding. You will never know the degree to which Jesus loves you because your mind could never fathom it. You will never know how much it costs. You will never know what Christ had to go through for you. You will never understand the depths of his love for you. And devotion is this continual pursuit. And so I want more of God. I want more of God. I want more of the wonder. I want to see new things today. I'm not content with what he did in my past. I want him to do a work of my life today. This is good news, and it's even better news than I could ever comprehend. The answer for how we reclaim the wonder when we've lost it is devotion. It's like the difference between somebody who is not devoted to their marriage and somebody who is devoted to their marriage. Somebody who's not devoted, there's probably no wonder there. But to the one who is devoted, there's boundless wonder. The second thing is this, it's a devotion. Devotion's kind of what we do, it's our, it's our disciplines, it's our pursuit of God. Number two, this is my favorite one. Take time to enjoy God. Take time to enjoy God. And once again, in our Western world, we're awful at this because we're pragmatic and we're doers and we're always working, we're always doing something. Uh, if you're like me, it's hard. Like, sometimes I don't like Saturdays because I don't have much to do and I just kind of get restless. And I, I have found that I'm not very good at just like resting. I've always struggled with reading, not because I can't read, but because I can't sit still long enough to read a chapter of a book. I'm like a chapter skipper. Maybe you're like me, right? One of the things we don't realize is that God is to be enjoyed. God wants you to enjoy him. God wants you to love him. 
And one of the best things we can do to share the gospel is to enjoy God. One of the best things we can do is take time to enjoy God for the benefit of other people. This is where things like worship and giving and thanks and and reflecting comes in. God doesn't want us to just serve him. He wants us to be happy in him. You know, for me, the, for the longest time, I had this, this tension between, like, God's glory and my happiness. And I thought that, like, God didn't want me to be happy, that he wanted me to be unhappy, but still glorifying him. We go always, like, to the prison letters and the Apostle Paul and everything like that, right? Oh, he loved God even in prison. And we, we, we kind of take that kind of downer mentality to our faith with God. And yet a famous pastor says that God is most glorified in us when we are more satisfied in him. Church, pursue happiness and joy and wonder and find those things in God. One of the most dangerous things about the prosperity gospel, which is like God wants you to be really rich and, and get the promotion, all these kinds of things. The, the biggest danger in that is, is I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's not fully true. God doesn't just bless us materially. But the problem is it, that almost taints the rest of us and, and the way we understand God and how he wants us to be happy. We're almost afraid to pursue happiness and joy in God because we're afraid that, that maybe we won't glorify him enough then. But God's glory and our joy go hand in hand. The problem is that God doesn't want us to be happy, but that we search for happiness in all the wrong things. Take time to enjoy God, to read the scriptures for enjoyment. Read the Psalms just to get a deeper understanding as to how amazing God is. Go, go, go get coffee with a friend. And I love doing this. Ask them to tell you all the great things God has done in their life. You don't have to have an agenda. You don't have to be wanting to ask them to do something. Just say, just tell me about your life. I love listening to y'all's stories. One of my favorite things to do. And I'm not, I don't just do it because I have to as a pastor. I love hearing what God has done in your life. And I ask a lot of you to tell me your story over and over again because I always forget because I listen to a lot of stories. I just love listening to what God has done in your life because it helps me to enjoy God more. And then I love God more. And then I want to serve him more. I want to I kill sin in my life more. I want to tell other people about it more because I'm reclaiming the wonder in my own life. Take time to enjoy God. And this is the last thing right here. And don't ask me to explain this to because I, I don't understand all of it. But number three, sharing brings the wonder. I've heard it said that the completion of joy is the sharing of it. And this is why having a wonderful part in the wonderful message of the gospel, this is why this is our last talk in this series. It's because once God has done a great work in your life, the only thing left to do is to tell somebody else about what he's done in your life I do not know why, but every time I share the name of Jesus, I love him more. Every time I share, I believe more. My faith is strengthened when I share it with somebody else. Sharing brings the wonder in your life. So devotion will bring the wonder in your life. Take time to enjoy God and then share it with somebody who needs it. Because I honestly believe that we live in a time where it is time to awaken the giant in your life and in this world. I believe that it's time for us to marvel at the wonder of the gospel and then to live on mission with us in the world around us. This city that we live in is full of hurting and broken people who are living aimless, meaningless lives. And they don't know what's going to save them, but we know who can save them. 
and his name is Jesus Christ. Church, the future is so much better than CNN will lead you to believe. Life is so much better than the wars of politics that consume our television screens. God is remaking this world. Jesus Christ has defeated death. We get to live in this wonder. And in our day and age, may we be faithful to share that wonder with all the people around us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we come to you in this moment, God, and we're just asking that you would, like it's the very first time, that you would speak to us. I pray, Jesus, if we have gotten used to your love or overly familiar with it, God, we pray that you would rip out the floor under us and that you would lead us to fall more deeply in love with you. God, we we repent of thinking that we could ever fully understand how amazing you are. God, we repent of of somehow believing that we finally have it and that there's no reason to ponder your goodness anymore because we've just figured it all out. I pray the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, of all that he's done, I pray that it would become fresh and new in our hearts. I pray that we would walk out of this place today as we share this meal together. I pray it would be as if for the first time we have sensed the love of Jesus for us. We pray that you would remove the veil of familiarity. Lord, that we would see you again as if for the very first time. Lord, as if someone had never told us of the cross. And that here on November 22nd, at 1130, here at White Oak Baptist Church, for the first time, we've been told that we are liberated from sin and death. That for the first time, someone has told us that death is no more, that life is good, that God not only exists, but he loves us deeply. I pray, God, that you would renew in our hearts the wonder of the gospel and that through experiencing that wonder that we would begin to share it with the people that are around us. We thank you for your closeness to us and we trust in your faithfulness to do this work in our lives. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.